Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Netflix releases its first original production in Asia. We've got some Pang Ho Chung news for a sequel to uh, Love in a Puff and Love in the Buff. A new McDull movie on the way, and Shanghai is opening with Cold War II. All that, and we covered Disney's live-action remake of The Jungle Book. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and coming to us from his news desk in the palace of King Louis himself is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing, sir? We are... uh... We're approaching the hot days of summer, right? I mean, uh, pretty much summer is here, and I feel like I'm in a jungle. Yeah, uh, approaching. <laughs> approaching. We're there, dude. It's like it is hot as hell. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, it's sweltering. I <clears throat> I usually associate, you know, the hottest period with uh uh July and August, but uh, I can only imagine what it's going to be like this year because we've already had some pretty hot days so far and uh we're not in the, even in the middle of it yet, so yeah, yeah, no. I mean, um, it it seems like we have that El Nino or El Nino thing hitting us, and looks like typhoon season is gonna get pushed back a little bit, so it's gonna go pretty much well into October apparently. Mm. But um, yeah, that's not really something I get excited about. Really, summer yeah. in Hong Kong. Summer in Hong Kong, hot, hot, hot. All right. Well, we're not here to talk about the weather, though. We are here to talk about films and film news and things relative to what's going on in Hong Kong cinema. So we'll be talking about a rare West screen film for this week's episode. But before we get into that, we've got some news. So let me throw the ball back over to Mr. Ma at his news desk with this week's news. Yeah, thank you, Hong Kong Cinema, for not you know, producing anything that gets released in June. Um, well, there is, but we'll talk about that at the at the end of the show. Uh, anyway, here at the news desk, um, I guess there's now like the weekly... Netflix section of the show not brought to you. Should, by should we just start a Netflix podcast? <laughs> <laughs> East Netflix, West Netflix, or something? I mean, uh, that seems to be mostly in the news these days, right? Well, that's because Netflix is making a pretty aggressive uh, expansion uh, global uh, the global markets. Um, this week, couple of news. Uh, first of all, they finally released their first original production here in Asia. Um, Hibana. Uh, it is not their first um, so original Japanese release, so to speak, because they were in a content partnership in Fu- with Fuji Television, and we'll talk about this whole content partnership phrase in a little bit. But um, they carried two original programs that Fuji pretty much gave exclusively to Netflix, but it was solely produced by by by, by Fuji, which I think Netflix sort of didn't give any money to i'm not sure really the the specific um uh, content of that deal but anyway hibana it seems to be the first actual original production 
um, that is paid for by Netflix, co-produced with local um, talent agency Yoshimoto Kyogo, who uh, produces a couple of very famous comedians. Uh, actually, it's almost like a comedian, the comedian version of Emperor Entertainment, for example. We want to use like a Hong Kong uh, context. Um, but anyway, their, their first show is up online now. All 10 episodes are streaming. The show is... Um, Ma- the main director is Ryuichi Hiroki, who you may know from uh, as the director of Vibrator, um, Kabukicho Love Hotel, but a very famous, very well-known kind of indie director who jumps back and forth the commercial and the indie world. Um, a Japanese film boss would have heard about him by now. Uh, also, a couple of indie directors in tow, including um, ok- Okita Shoichi, who I'm a big fan of. Um, the show is about a pair of comedians. Um, and I think it covers about 10 years of their lives and it, it's adapted from original novel. Um, my friend uh, watched the, the, the entire show, binge watch the entire show uh, in two days um, when it showed in uh, Nippon Connection over there in Germany, the Nippon Connection Film Festival. And she loved it so much. She told me to take a day off work to binge watch the entire thing. Um, but I've seen the first episode and it's very well produced. It's actually produced very much like an indie film more than a TV show, which is really the best thing I can say um, for Japanese TV programming. Um, it's the, the plot is very slow to begin with. Um, as my friend tells me, the, the, the whole series seems to be designed as one big movie, so it's a one-off thing. There doesn't seem to be any room for a second season. It's, it's, it's finished by the very end because it adapts the entire book. But um, what I've seen so far is pretty promising. Um, like I said, plot is a bit slow to start, but um, the first episode sort of ends with a note, um, sort of like okay, ready to go kind of thing, and it seems like the plot is taking forming to shape. And I'm not sure if I'm going to have time to binge watch the entire thing, but I am going to keep watching because I'm very intrigued, much much more so than Marseille, which I've watched two episodes of and sort of just. Um, I wouldn't say given up, but let's just say I'm I'm gonna finish Shibana first before I keep watching Marseille. Paul, are you interested in the show? I've seen I've seen trailers, not trailers, uh, promotional images for it, right? Of of it popping up on websites and on Netflix itself. I haven't seen a trailer or anything. It looked for a show about comedy. From what I, you know, just the feeling I get from the poster, it looks kind of serious. I mean, is yeah, is it? It doesn't look like there's actual humor in it. To, you know, it looks more like a straight up drama. No, it's a it's a serious show about comedians. Mm-hmm. So, which means there must be failed comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's it, it's got about you know whole struggling artists and you know because the manzai world, which is uh, what they call dual comedy. Um, it's two men or two women, two whatever. It's two comedians standing on a stage and they do a big a long sort of back and forth repertoire and then that's and then there's punchlines and that's essentially what manzai comedian is very specific form so of it's, japanese it's comedy. very similar to like the old days of uh, abbott and costello very vaudevillian in yes in the approach right 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 so so it's about those kind of and it's a very tough world because everyone wants to break in and and it's about you know sort of the hardships that these comedians uh run into when they sort of fall in between the cracks you know they're not really successful they get they have agencies but they get really crap jobs and it's about that kind of world so you know it can't really yeah, there are jokes, but there are punchlines in there. But generally, it's not a very funny show. It's a straight up drama. Yeah, not not my speed. I think <laughs> I think it'll be further down on the uh, Netflix queue if and when I, I I decide to give it a go. Right. Well, I, I think that this is sort of a big 
jump and you know you think netflix was sort of for their first production in asia you think they would sort of jump off with something more high profile or something you know more that screams like this is you know what we're doing this is like our first big production in asia well more house of cards but it's a rather low-key show to start with and i like i said i'm very intrigued and and what i've seen so far is pretty good and if um, my friend's uh, uh, opinion is of any indication it, it's going to get even better. So um, I'm going to keep watching just to, you know, kind of encourage Netflix Asia to go, you know, hey, you know, let's produce more shows. Maybe these shows will find an audience. Let, let's see what happens. Well, you know, as you as you get into it, you know, you have to come back and let us know in a later episode if if you think that the level of quality is there. And, and if, you know, if you give it a strong recommendation, then uh, it'll definitely be something I'll dig further into. Sure thing. Speaking of Netflix, though, uh, we move from Japan to where next? Taiwan, is it? Yeah, moving down to Taiwan. Netflix also this week announced that they have uh, opened their first office uh, in Taiwan. Um, their Asia headquarters, as far as I know, is in Singapore. But um, they've uh, opened an office in Taiwan, Xinchu. Um, uh, essentially, it's essentially more of a, a hardware office. It's not really a, for content. Uh, apparently, they're looking into um, making TV chips or finding content partner or, or production partners, I guess, hardware partners um, to make to instill um, uh, Netflix um, a Netflix recommended TV. Apparently. So, so I guess this would be similar to you know smart TV, something with smart TV, where I guess Netflix would um, uh, build a sort of certification or a qualification, um, depending you know on streaming and whether uh, uh, Netflix runs smoothly on the TV and things like that, and make it sort of a Netflix certified TV, and that's what they're working on over in Taiwan. Um, but they also uh, signed a content partnership. With Sony Television Station, uh, television, um, which is a fairly big pay TV network over there in Taiwan, they produced um, multiple very, very successful um, Taiwan idol dramas. Um, and this means, what this means is, that at least we know that um, uh, Netflix has acquired a number of TV dramas essentially from Sony Television, and they will be putting them, releasing them globally um, later this year. Apparently, now whether this means that they will be buying shows additional shows, sort of like what they did with Fuji, whether Somni will be producing content for Netflix. Um, that would be very interesting because that means Netflix is now expanding sort of to the Chinese-speaking world as a first step into the Chinese-speaking world. Now, does that mean they're opening sort of the way to, to, to Hong Kong, to Singapore, to further speak Chinese-speaking country? Will will this give a chance for Hong Kong talent to go on Nef- to Taiwan, work on Netflix shows? Don't know, but, but you know, this, this is a pretty big step i think um in terms of a big you know planting a flag into the greater china region um so yeah um this this kind of exciting development especially if you're a fan of taiwan idol dramas which i know you are paul right oh yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah there was a time perhaps uh maybe not so much these days that uh i i've kind of moved even away from uh tvb dramas i've just we, we we cut the cable a couple months back and we got rid of uh, our now broadband so we no longer have access to being able to record tvb stuff or tvb dramas or any of that we're just pretty much all digital entertainment now with uh, netflix and with itunes so uh maybe maybe things will turn around and uh, there'll be some stuff that'll that'll pull me back but uh, just the past year 
I think we got so you know disinterested in it just it was just more of the same all the time and there's just so much good content coming out because you have these these new platforms now there's only so many hours in the day that we can give to TV watching right 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 well then Netflix sort of actually will give you a chance to um, reach out and watch you know you still catch your Taiwan dramas on Netflix yeah, and it'll yeah. be English subtitle and everything and this actually might be the first time I've seen Taiwan dramas get English subtitles because yeah. I mean working at Yes Asia I've seen these DVD releases and I don't remember them getting English subtitles yeah no I mean and I I would be interested to see if some of the you know the the spills over from Japan too and maybe we get some uh, Japanese TV dramas from time to time because every once in a while there's a title that comes out you know it's it's uh, a spoof off of an anime or something that attracts my interest and you know those are typically not it not as easy to track down or, or pick up you can usually find them somewhere on the internet fan subs or uh, Malaysian releases that have English subtitles but a lot of times that stuff is very hard to to come across so maybe this is this will be sort of like a new renaissance for uh, access to Asian content. I mean, we can only oh. hope. So. Oh God, no, no! That's where I'm going to start ranting about Japanese TV shows. <laughs> okay, and I, I mentioned this on my Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago. I think, I think. Um, so you know, um, I have a network on my Now TV called Gem, mm-hmm. and they're carrying some of the new. Uh, they have a. They're pretty much an offshoot of NTV Nippon TV, and you know they have the newest TV shows. That's great. They have one that from a writer I love. Kankuro Kuro is my favorite writer. One of my favorite writers, and his new show is on, you know, Gem uh, and on demand. Except the problem is that they only upload two episodes at a time, which means that sort of defeats the entire freaking idea of having an on demand, isn't it? Well, the, I, you know, this is interesting because I've heard some people in uh, other podcasts of late talk about the idea of the all at once um, concept being maybe too much. And that maybe that you know Netflix and and some of these other platforms should go back to the weekly release. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think if it's all done, put it all up there, right? Don't, yeah, I mean, don't, don't make me wait for it. Let me be be the decider. In some cases, I think when I watched uh, Jessica Jones, for example, I decided to take that in small bites, right? right. Um, but I say, you know, if it's all done, put it all up and let the let the end user decide. You know, well, how they want to take it. The thing with J- Japanese TV shows is that they're shot as they're, sh- they're they're pretty much released as they're shot. As in, if you're watching uh, episode one being aired, they're probably only shooting episode three or four. Which means, so it makes sense. Okay, I can accept that they release one episode one week at a time, but they're only putting two episodes at a time. Which means, um, if I'm right now, I go in there, they only have six and seven because they've only aired six and seven hmm. in recent weeks. That, you know, it's like, okay, and then I switched to the next uh, in dem- on-demand service for Korean TV shows, okay? You ever heard of Descendants of the Sun? I'm sure you have. Paul. Yes, yes. The full version of the show is on, like, four different platforms here in Hong Kong already, all right? It's coming out on Blu-ray, all right? It was out on View TV. All the entire shows on View TV, you can watch it for free. It's on-demand. You can watch it on KBS World. You can record it when it's playing there. You can, you know, go online and, you know, watch it uh, um Three different ways on View TV. There's a difference, you know. Korean television networks. I don't watch Korean TV dramas, but if I want to, if I want to watch The Descendant of the Sun, I can go on Now TV right now and watch the entire. I can binge watch the entire freaking thing. Right? It's almost to the point where you can't not watch them. 
exactly it's everywhere right? in your face they are bombarding you with this and this is soft power people this is what koreans do to do soft power this is why koreans have overtaken the japanese in terms of popularity this is why japanese entertainment industry has stagnated for years is because they have these old ass antiquated protectionist content policy and you know i'm the guy on the show who argues for regional <laughs> regional blocking <laughs> and i am freaking pissed right all right like this is why you're losing the koreans you can't go and blame the audience for this because the audience wants entertainment they see the koreans are, are you know available legally everywhere right you know how many t- korean tv shows you see on, on on netflix right now you see like 10 all right 15 and these not even you can't these aren't even they don't even overlap with the stuff that's on view tv or on tvb right and then how many japanese tv shows are there on on netflix one and they produce the freaking thing so you know it's it's just this whole antiquated japanese are 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 quite notorious for being super um uh, protectionist of their stuff and it's gotta stop this is why they lost in soft power this is why cool japan would never take off because their content partners are two are old people who never retired and have no idea what the hell the internet is and what the hell the internet does and have no idea that there's a global audience out there demanding their work wanting to see the word instead they're just sort of holding everything to their chest and sort of getting you know the little bit of money they can get from regional distributors and holding on to that until they can get it is it, it's just so frustrating hmm. and i'm not i'm not i'm not pushing for piracy i do not encourage piracy okay i i just want people to watch these shows because there are so many talented writers and actors and directors working in japanese television that and their their shows are actually better produced, better written than those damn Korean, you know, 20 episode drama of handsome guys with unrealistic six packs and girls with unrealistic makeup. So, you know, come on, Japan, like, like, get on it. I like this new version of Kevin. It's like the uh, WWE version of Kevin. I I think I've been rather kind. (laughs) Did you hear how many times I almost went off with the F word? Yeah. (laughs) It's, you it's, can it's, it's good. It's good. You know, it's like uh, I, I can I can see it now with the uh, war paint on the face. You know, you're getting, about to wrestle the uh, Japanese equivalent of of Hulk Hogan or something, right? <laughs> no, because their that video would if if they're Hulk Hogan, that video would never go online ever. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if it did, you'd get sued. They'd be um, like, they'd be like, you do it, but you got to put photo credit on the on the bottom left the entire time. Uh, all right. Well, hopefully, some we'll get some you know uh, interesting developments, and we'll keep you appraised of uh, what, if anything, does come of these uh, sort of new partnerships going on. Yep. Let's move on and talk a little bit about some actual movie news, though. We do have uh, some people still making films for the cinema. One of those people, of course, is our local director here, Peng Ho Chung, who's going back to the well, I guess, with uh, Miriam and uh, Sean Yu, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, I would say that 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 Chan doesn't make movies for Hong Kong anymore, though. You know, he's moved the entire office up to Beijing. He practically lives in Beijing now. He lives in hotels when he comes back to Hong Kong. Seriously, but anyway, um, Pangochun um, or his company making yeah. film announced this week that um, they are at work on Love Off the Cuff, which is the third film in the series that started with Love in a Puff and continue with Love in the Buff, and now it's called Love Off the Cuff. Um, I think when Love in the Buffers came out, there were ideas um, floating around that the third film would be about um, the main couple starring, uh, which 
played by Miriam Yuan and Sean Yu, um, about having kids and about their parent-in-laws. Uh, apparently, that idea is 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 no longer on the table. Um, apparently, Pang Po Chen was inspired by a sort of a a weird from the left field idea from his wife, uh, and that inspired him to do this sort of version. Um, to sort of um, explain how the title actually suggests the genre of the film already. Um, the first film is called um, uh, I don't remember the English name of the characters, but it's Ji Ming and and Chun Chun Gyu, which is the uh, the guy and the girl, um, and then the second second film is called Chun Gyu Yu Ming, which is Chun Gyu and Zi Ming, which is they reverse the order, okay. And now the third film is called Chun uh, Chun Gyu Saves Zi Ming, so she's rescuing Zi Ming. So it's kind of it's kind of um, uh, implying that it could be some kind of uh, action film or something. I don't know, um, but anyway, there there's no plot details. Pang Chuan said he's not gonna give anything away yet. Um, the film will take place in Japan apparently this time, not to- not not Beijing anymore, not Hong Kong. It's gonna take place in Japan, uh, Japan, Tokyo to be specific. Um, the only stars that are confirmed are Miriam Yuan and Sean Yu. Um, there are no other casts announced yet, even though uh, Peng said that he's gonna you know be looking for cameos uh, from his you know he's gonna start calling in favors for bigger stars to be in the film. Um, otherwise, the only thing we know is that it's going to be shot, start shooting in October, um, and it's set for release next summer. Uh, Paul, how do you like this new development? Uh, uh, Miriam Yuan saves Sean Yu. Uh, from fatness? I don't know. Are but they going to be wearing fat suits like uh, Sammy and Andy when they does, were in Japan? Does Sean Yu need to be rescued? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, no, it's going to be fun because, you know, it's kind of interesting because, um, uh, whatchamacallit, um, you know, Miriam Yuan has has a very has an image of of like being a very tough, very like um, um, if if Andy Lau's uh, moment moment for of romance has like a female counterpart, it would be her. That kind of person, like she has that kind of persona uh, to some people in in some ways. So it's kind of interesting that she is literally taking on. She might be taking on that kind of role um in in the third uh third part of this film uh, i kind of look forward to it it's gonna be interesting to see how far um Pao takes or what kind of a left field idea they come up with hmm. I, i'm just wondering if he's gonna try and do some you know with the second film he did some parallel stories with um who was it mini yang and um um i can't remember the the mainland chinese actor who were kind of the romantic <clears throat> excuse me the romantic foils so I'm wondering if he's going to find some Japanese actors, um, if it's going to take place in Japan, and uh, if they, or maybe it's just going to be Miriam like fighting the Yakuza or something. Um, well, um, let's see. I mean, remember uh, uh, Crazy Lazy, Hazy Lazy Crazy also had a had a Japanese um, porn star, Soda Aoi, Japanese porn star cameo. AVs also did with, uh, a Japanese AV star who is now retired. Um, so, so no, do, I'm sure there do, will be some. Do you get the sense though? Because the first film was very much made for a Hong Kong audience, and it was dealing with Hong Kong themes. The second film was made for a mainland audience. So, do you think this is more for Hong Kong again, or more for the mainland? Who's paying? It's mainland, so so clearly it's going to be a co-production audience. Uh, so he has to balance the two clearly. Um, so I don't know how he's going to do it, what he's going to do, but um, no, I, I I don't expect him to make a film for a Hong Kong audience uh, anymore, ever, essentially, hmm. ever, right? Okay, well, you know, 
He's got to make the money. Baby needs a new pair of shoes or something, right? No. It's the uh, the way of the world. You know, he, he, I guess he's just following the same suit as Jackie Chan, right? Because uh, Jackie Chan basically did the same thing. He s- s- shut up his shop down in uh, in uh, Mongkok, right? And uh, I think his offices are all up north now, too. Yeah, moved up to Beijing. But I mean, the only difference is that Jackie Chan has, you know, politically sort of... Uh, uh, um, yeah. thrown Hong Kong under the bus and, and power trying to sort of stay quiet mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's see. Another local film staple, that of the McDull series. Looks like we're getting another entry a bit later. Yeah, this came up nowhere. I mean, seriously, I just found out like maybe a month ago, I think. Um, but yeah, McDull film. What is it, the fifth now, Paul? I think so, yeah. So, I, I haven't seen the last one. Which was me, McDowell, my, my mom. mom. Oh, yeah, that's the. Yeah. One. I haven't, I haven't caught up on that one, but I've seen the others. This yes, I did not. Well, anyway, now they have a fifth film coming. It's called Madou. Rice, the rice cooker. Um, Actually, is... this will be the sixth film because the fourth one was the uh, Pork of Music, right? Oh right, Pork of Music, and then Madou, my mom was a fifth, and this will be a sixth film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I, you know, it looks like uh, it's another. Um, well, no, Madou takes on a big monster from the poster we see um no there's not really much of a uh, uh plot out there yet but um anyway the film's announced um it's called the rice rice cooker it comes out on august 11th um as always we get uh sandra Ng as um the you know but those mom we get um uh, Anthony Wong as the principal, and surely he'll pay multiple roles as he always done. And the the, the pancakes as Miss Chan, uh, the teacher. Um, otherwise, that's all we know so far. Um, th- there's a poster, but like I said, it looks like there's like a Godzilla-like post uh, monster, uh, the shadow of one at least on a poster. But there's no other, um, no other, no no other details about the film. So I don't know, Paul. You, you didn't watch the last one. I, honestly, I thought the last one was kind of dreadful. I really yeah, I, the the pork. The, one of the things they did in, I think, is with the pork of music was they uh, brought in um, the animation style, the artistic style of a local political artist who, I guess, he works with um, Zuni um, in doing some stuff. And I'm not a big fan of that style, um, though I do love the McDonald movies. So I've just. I did, wasn't able to get out and see it in the cinema when it was playing, and I've just hold, held off on buying the DVD. I will get it eventually and watch it because I do, I do love the McDonald movies. So. Well, no, the store actually that style doesn't isn't isn't um, existent in the fifth film. Yeah, that's, all my mom. That, that's what I heard. Um, yeah, yeah. After some so, people watched it, I just it's you know I, it's one of those things where I see it on the shelf and it's like uh, next time, you know, and then I go back and I get something else. I'm like uh, next time, so I, it's it's it's. It's definitely on the list. It's uh, it's it's just not been picked up yet. Yeah. Um. The the film. Um. The the film's uh, animation style isn't really, uh, uh, the problem with the fifth film. Um. Actually, it was the first Mado film to put me to sleep. I believe. Um. Anyway, so I think after that, it just sort of didn't really raise give me any expectations for this new one. Mm-hmm. But anyway, there it is. It's one of summer films. All right. And speaking of summer films, we would be remiss if we didn't at least mention the film that's everywhere, in my face, wherever I go, whatever movie I'm watching, it doesn't matter. They've got to play loud, bounding music and stick either Aaron or Chow Yun-Fat or Lung Fai in my face, and that is Cold War Two. Yeah, Cold War Two seems to be coming sooner than we expected because it is opening 
the Shanghai Film Festival this weekend. It is uh, getting its world premiere at the um, the prestigious Chinese film festival. Um, an oxymoron if I've ever heard one. Um, anyway, the world premiere is this weekend, and it's the opening film of the festival, which means um, the stars will walk the red carpet and blah, blah, blah. I'm guessing there will be one screening, and it won't be open to the public. So unfortunately, no one else will be. And I'm not going to the festival this year, so I won't be able to see the film until it comes out on Ju- July 8th, just like everyone else. Um, but that segues into sort of a talk a bit about the uh, the lineup for for the Shanghai Film Festival. The um, bit of a very underwhelming edition this year. Um, lots of older films. About fifty percent of the films are older films. Um, but yet there are a couple of you know main uh, high profile Chinese premieres. Uh, we have um, Cock and Bull, the new film from the uh, Chao Baoping, the director of um, um, The Dead End, which is a great crime drama from last year actually. Um, what else? We have Delan. Uh, this is a drama that was actually mo- uh, nominated for multiple Golden Horse Awards last year. Um, uh, that was so. These two Chinese films are in the, the official main competition. You also have the New Asia or the Asia New Talent Awards, uh, which includes One Night Only, the feature film director, uh, the directorial feature film directorial debut of Matt Wu, a Taiwan actor. Um, and uh, it stars Yang Jishan um, from So Young and uh, Aaron Kwok. Uh, and it's set in Thai, Thai, Thailand, I think. So the film gets world premiere at the festival. Um, there's also When Harry Le- when Larry Met Mary, which is the also the directorial debut of actor Wen Zhang. Um, that's who you might have seen last time with a cameo in, uh, in Stephen Chow's Mermaid. Um, you know, there are also a couple of, you know, big lineup of Korean films, big lineup of Japanese films, lots of old movies, lots of sort of Oscar nominee films. Um, but, and, and I think they're Woody Allen's Cafe Society. Um, locally, it's a great festival for, for, for the audiences because, you know, they don't really get to see these films on a big screen. Um, you know, this, this is sort of one chance where they don't have to abide by the sort of import quota and, you know, have to watch big Hollywood films. Instead, they can go to the cinema and watch, you know, decent art films or good, you know, blockbusters or, you know, Japanese films. You never see Japanese films in China. Um, so, yeah, it's a good festival for the audience, but for the rest of the film festival world, it's kind of underwhelming. No League of Gods? League of Gods? No, that they, they're like, we don't need the festival to promote it. We, we sell ourselves, right? Well, I, I guess we're getting that pretty soon, right? We're getting that July 29th. Woohoo! Can't wait. You really, you seriously? <laughs> really, Paul? Well, at least it's something. We got nothing right now, so um, yeah. So there, that is the Shanghai Festival and Cold War Two. I'm if you can get out to see one or the other, uh, you know, good on you. And uh, I guess we'll be talking about Cold War Two when July. it gets released here. So July eighth, yeah, all around the same time. All right, that's going to wrap up our news segment for this week. So thanks again to Kevin at his news desk. Let's take a short musical interlude, and we'll be back to talk about this week's West Screen movie, The Jungle Book. And welcome back. Our movie this week, the Disney remake of the animated classic based on the Rudyard Kipling novel, 
The Jungle Book. This one coming from director John Favreau. It tells the classic animated tale from the film. You know, the same characters that you, if you were in my generation, you grew up um, at least watching and, and loving. Or if you perhaps grew up in an earlier generation, you actually got the book and you read about it. Um, I have to admit, I've been a bit lazy. I tend to gravitate more towards the films than to, to the novel. So I've never actually read the book, but I have very fond memories of multiple viewings of uh, Disney's animated version uh, many times over the years uh, growing up and it's something that I look forward to showing my daughter at some point I have to say Paul I have very fond memories of watching the old film for the first time two weeks ago <laughs> well you're still just a baby so you know, that, that's, that makes perfect sense right uh, you're just still a youngin um, so yes um, here we get the uh, basically a film that's live action although it's not really live action because most of it is animated it's just animated using of course the most modern uh, computer graphic techniques possible we pretty much have only one actor who appears on the screen for a majority of the film there are some um, some uh, extras that show up in, in a couple places but really uh, the lead role of uh, Mowgli is taken up by this new actor Neil Sethi so the, the story is basically a young orphaned child um, gets kind of wanders out into the forest when his father is killed by a Bengal tiger, and he ends up getting adopted by a black panther who then takes him to be raised with a pack of wolves. So this is the sort of the classic boy being raised by wolves tale. When I went into this film, um, my wife, who had never seen the animated version and who didn't really know much about the story at all she thought we were seeing Tarzan um, for a little while she thought it was like a, a retelling of the Tarzan story and I was trying to tell her no it's you know this is a, you know taking place in India it's different um, and, and she, she by the end she she kind of understood but you know she was so used to seeing Tarzan movies over the years and, and the many remakes of Tarzan in various forms, animated and otherwise, that we've had, that when I told her, oh, it's, you know, an orphan boy gets orphaned and, and, and left in the jungle and is raised by animals, that's, you know, immediately what come, came to her mind. So um, here we have the, the young actor, uh, Neil Sethi, who's most of the time acting with things that aren't there. And this is challenging even for the most veteran actors, I would say. So he doesn't always come across as convincing when he's talking to these imaginary creatures, but I'm willing to give him some slack considering he's a new actor for the most part and he's not acting with, you know, real things. Uh, I did hear elsewhere that, um, and I think this is listed in the credits, Jim Henson's Creature Shop actually created puppetry that he could work with. So when they're actually, you know, before they get into post-production, when they're still, you know, shooting green screen and motion capture stuff, that much of what he's working with is um, kind of, uh, you know, Muppet-esque style puppets. So he does have physical things to react to. Uh, but basically, it's the story of him growing up, being raised by the wolves, and living among the animals, learning, trying to learn how to survive, and uh, basically the biggest sort of animal on the block is that of Shere Khan, the Bengal tiger, the same Bengal tiger, as it were, that ended up killing his father when he was just an infant. And because Shere Khan got injured in that fight as well, 
he hates man and he wants nothing more than to eat Mowgli. So it causes strife in the animal community and Mowgli is asked to, you know, be sent away. As many of the animals want to send him back to the man village, as it were. But along the way, he gets distracted by a variety of things, as one might want to do when they're in the jungle with lots of talking animals. So the one thing that struck me at first was there's a bit of an uncanny valley thing that happened, at least for me, at the start of the film. And I was watching this in 2D, uh, not 3D. This is a, you know, a 2D and 3D film. So I chose the 2D route um, just so I could have the more clear experience. I don't know if people would have had the same feeling watching the, the 3D version or not. It took maybe a scene or two, and then that Uncanny Valley sensibility kind of kind of washed away, and I had no trouble engaging in the rest of the film. One of the things I did have some trouble with, though, was the film's logic, because some of the animals talk, right? So Mowgli raised by wolves, the wolves talk, um, the, um, you know, the, the panther, um, Bagheera talks, voiced by Ben Kingsley, Baloo, who he meets later, the big bear, voiced by Bill Murray talks. So many of the animals talk, but then he encounters other animals that do not talk. And I had difficulty figuring out what the film's logic was. Why was it that some animals could talk and others couldn't? And it wasn't necessarily a mammal versus non-mammal kind of thing. Um, it seems like when he encounters some of the primates that they have difficulty speaking fluently. Um, he encounters some other small animals who can just, you know, crack, crack wise jokes, um, you know, at, at a almost machine gun speed. So the, the logic of who can talk and who can't talk and, and why is not really grounded enough for me. I mean, if you're going to have a movie where animals talk, make them all talk. Give them all personalities. Um, otherwise, it just caused me to do some head scratching. It didn't really, you know, kill the experience for me, but it was just a question that I had. And when I start questioning the nature of the universe, it's taking me slightly out of the filmic experience. Um, the, the one thing that uh, did really stand out for me, though, that I did kind of appreciate was that as Mowgli goes through the film uh, he you know gets in encounters with different animals sometimes there's a funny sometimes these are dangerous but he does kind of get banged up you'll see that he you know starts out he's got a couple scars on him and some things happen and he gets more scars he gets cuts and scrapes and and I, I like the attention to detail that they were giving the sort of sense of slight realism that they were going for here so this is one of the things that you don't necessarily see, for example, in the animated version. Because you are dealing with, you know, a, a child who's not yet a teenager who is basically out living life like an animal, like a wolf for the most part. So uh, I really liked that they they tried to bring, bring up the, the level of realism ever so slightly from the animated version. But because we only really have one human actor on screen much of the narrative is reliant upon the voice actor work. And so we have Ben Kingsley, as I said, as uh, Bagheera. And I think he's great. He's probably the best of the voices for me uh, in terms of fulfilling 
how I recall and remember the role from the animated version. Uh, Idris Ilba comes in as Shere Khan, and he brings a, a good gravitas to the role, but I kept hearing uh, Idris Ilba quite often, um, you know, angry, angry Ilba, as it might be, might be said, um, more so than Shere Khan himself. So sometimes the, the because of the recognizability of his voice from other roles um, pulled me out a little bit. You've got um, Lupita Nyong'o, if I'm saying her name correctly, as uh, Raksha. That's she is the mother wolf who ends up taking Mobley in and is very protective of him. Um, she does a great job and I, I really liked the development of her character it gets a lot more development here than I think the wolves do in the animated version, which was nice to see, especially because they're dealing with issues of family um, quite often uh, as, as a plot point within the film. It's interesting, too, because, um, you know, of course, she's done some great uh, physical acting, you know, work and, in, 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 you know, movies she's done. But she's also, especially for Disney stuff, she's getting assigned these roles where she's, you know, being a creature, uh, a CG creature, in this case, a wolf. She's also from um, episode seven, and she's going to be, I think, in, in episode eight as, uh, um, what's the character's name? Uh, Kaz Manada, I think, the um, sort of wise oracle um, that the characters run into in that film. So, uh, you know, it'd be nice to see her get back out of the, the sort of the CG universe and get back to some bigger maybe uh, live-action roles uh, in future films. Scarlett Johansson is here, too. She plays Ka, and I think she has the least effective voice for me because while she does pull off sort of the sultry and seductive nature that's appropriate perhaps for Ka, it also at times it just kind of sounded like the AI from her. And again, here, too, I sometimes didn't, the, the the voice and the role of the animal didn't just it didn't gel quite right for me uh, Bill Murray of course is playing Baloo and here too he's great he's got perhaps the funniest bits in the film um, which is very good for the character but he's also also such a recognizable voice that it was difficult to sometimes separate out Bill Murray or in what was coming in my head a lot was Garfield and that of a sort of recognizable Baloo role. Um, and then we have, of course, um, Christopher Walken, who plays King Louis, who's great and terrible all at the same time. And, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about why, that, why I think that is. Um, but overall, the performances did work. I think they all, um, in, in terms of the overall enjoyment of the film, um, none of them detract enough to really bring down my level of enjoyment where I, this wouldn't, you know, I couldn't recommend the film as, as it were. The film, the animated film, of course, is known for the music and, you know, some of the songs that are sort of ingrained therein as well. And they do incorporate the music here. I'd say it's not quite as prominent, perhaps, as the animated version. They, it comes in really late in the film when, when the, the certain the characters get introduced to each other and primarily we just have the song you know Baloo's song and the, you know the bare necessities and then King Louis song I want to be like you the, the both of I, I think the bare necessities one they just 
they they, they kind of limit it uh, a little bit but the king louis song goes over the top and except christopher walken just can't sing <laughs> he's not a good singer and the the king louis role in the animated version was sung in such a great way that that for me the song here just didn't work because it's like he's almost William Shatnering it at some times and if you've ever heard any of William Shatner's albums a lot of times he's just basically doing spoken word and that works I mean I think you know a lot of people will laugh at that kind of a performance but some of it actually works and, and works quite well I just don't think it worked quite quite well here because you have the the sort of iconic nature of the song and then this version is just kind of like Christopher Walken being Christopher Walken in 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 many ways and so that I think is probably my biggest disappointment because that was one of the more expectant points of the film is when you know King Louis singing that song um, but overall I still came away really enjoying it um, the one thing that I was really, I really, really liked too was the excellent uh, credit sequence that it has. So when the credits start rolling, it it has this animated effect where the book opens and pages are turning and things are popping out. It was just really clever, really great. Um, I really enjoyed that part. Um, the film is done very, very well too. You know, it's I, I think it was like the second biggest grossing film. Uh, of the month it was released in the States, coming in after Captain America Civil War. Uh, so it's done so well that they've already scheduled a sequel for it. Um, and I think that they've already, if I remember the news correctly, they've already tapped John Favreau to do direct the sequel, which is interesting too because obviously the way the film pans out here, you can imagine that there, there, was, a, there was a Jungle Book 2 that was kind of released direct to video and it was during that period when Disney was just pumping out a lot of part twos of everything that was classic direct-to-video so there's Cinderella 2 there was a Little Mermaid 2 there was a Mulan 2 and most of the, them in terms of the quality are seen as quite inferior to the theatrically released works and as I know from people who've read the Jungle Book and who I've talked with um, there is more to the story that happens because in the animated version you know um, it's kind of in the first film even though there is a second film the first film is kind of complete but they do kind of leave it here as room for much more I'll say I don't want to say much more than that because I don't want to spoil it so it goes goes in a slightly different direction with the ending here than they they go with in the animated version so yeah we are gonna get a sequel and I guess that'll be two or three years uh, down the road and in the interim it's gonna you know we're still Disney's gonna be pushing forward with more of these animation to live-action remakes we've got Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson coming next year and they've already released some teaser trailers for that and uh, it made me question too do you think they're gonna give us a live-action Disney Mulan at some point um, which I liked Mulan and I be very interested to see what they could do with that. It certainly couldn't be any worse than the, the last Chinese version we got over here, which was pretty bad, as I remember. Um, so, yeah, I, I think overall I did enjoy the film. It's not going to replace the animation for me in terms of a, of a classic, but uh, I think it was enjoyable enough. It is quite violent, though, so 
I'm I'm at the point right now where my daughter who's four I'm starting to go through some online forums you know with the the key question of all right what age is it suitable to show certain Disney films for her and one of the forums I was looking at says all right so about the age of four um, Jungle Book you know the animated version is kind of okay um, so I'm still wondering if you know maybe wait a couple more months for her to get a little bit older before introducing because I remember the end of that it's you know a little bit dark it's it, there's a little bit of um, violence that goes on can be a little bit scary so I may hold off a little bit more but this film definitely is not for the, the very young kids so please don't take your very young kids to this because it does get kind of violent um, you know there are there is some death in there so you do want to you know just be aware that uh, this isn't this isn't on on par with the rated G cartoon version at all um, <clears throat> that being said I think older kids would would get a kick out of it I think they'll enjoy it and I think once you get away from that initial uncanny valley you'll have some fun with it so Kevin you saw this are you a Disney fan did you uh, did you uh, like what you saw I, I'm really serious when I said that I only watched an old one for the first time two weeks ago. So um, that that's pretty much answers how, how much I, I, I care about Disney films. I, and did you watch it just because you wanted to compare it with this? Yeah, um, I did do it for work. I mean, it's already out there. You know, Cathay is going to carry it in uh, July, I think. So I had to watch the film. And um, by the way, you can actually see the listings for for the following month if you go on the Cathay Pacific Airlines website. So that's why it's okay for me to talk about this. But anyway, um, no, it, it, yeah, that's mainly the reason. I it, it was on board. Um, it's going to be on board. So I watched the new. I knew I had to watch the new one, and I figured I had to compare. You know, the old film and the new film. And so I watched the old film first. And I watched the new one, and I actually do kind of prefer that sort of easygoing, almost jaunty version of the 1968 version. It's almost it's unabashedly sort of like easygoing, which, you know, obviously it's only a cartoon can do. And I kind of enjoy that version more. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's just, it's, um, you know, a bit shorter. It's also a bit, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's just a bit more accessible to lots of different ages. Um, and I just like the music better, and you know, because those those songs have been with me for for years. And well, I do think that uh, you know Bill Murray can carry a tune, and and he he does the role quite well. I still have that sense of the iconic voice of you know the original Baloo singing the song with 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 Mobley. Um, the thing is, what can you do? I mean, it, it, you know, in modern modern uh, it's modern Hollywood, and people don't really do that light you know um no consequence sort of filmmaking anymore you know disney is pouring a bunch of money into it they have to go and make all the animals um uh cgi and and to the film's critic credit i i you know at one point i did forget that the kid is essentially talking to dudes covered in blue yeah most yeah. of the time i i forgot that the animals were fake i mean they were really real and and beyond that i i think that the adventure itself if you've never you don't have the burden of the original film I think this one is okay. The thing is, I was never really, I'm not really that into the story, and and I recognize that it's well made and it is suspenseful and it's thrilling and um, it's a fairly fulfilling, emotionally fulfilling adventure. Like that, they make him like sort of a gadget kid, you know. 
Yeah, he's like the he's like the MacGyver of the jungle. Yeah, MacGyver <laughs> of the jungle kind of thing, which is kind of cool. Um, nice little Despite touch the fact to that in. he's got no education whatsoever, right? You know, he's uh, raised by wolves, but uh, he's still clever enough to figure all this out, which is great. You know, it's it and and it does provide quite quite a bit of the humor. Yeah, uh, but come on, I mean, original one, the kid's an idiot. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the kid's a real, like, like whiny idiot. Like, he's never, he was actually born in the human world. I mean, come on. Like, well, like It was the 60s. I mean, come on. Right, and that was also racist, actually. That, but uh, but that's okay. Um, so, so you know, this one, it, it's a little more politically correct. And, you know, um, it has a, just the right amount sort of, 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 um, Scariness, I guess, adventureness. Uh, are, are those even English words? I do not care. Um, so it, we make it up as we go here. Yeah, it's a little less fun than the original, but I think um, I can see why people really respond to it. It's been a huge hit in India, by the way. Hmm. Um, I guess not surprisingly, but um, yeah, it's it's all right. I'll, I'll let like I can let like a seven year old, eight year old see it, right? Um, and and they'll have a lot of fun with it, and they won't have that burden of having to see the original first or compare or whatever. But for me, it's like, eh, it's yeah. all right. It doesn't really. I I like the I like the Cinderella remake better actually. Yeah, that's the one I haven't seen yet. I need to I need to sit down and watch that. I, I was um, quite pleasantly surprised by that one actually. And the the based on what we've seen with just a few very few limited frames so far of the Beauty and the Beast remake, I'm kind of worried about that one. Because the things they've shown us so far have been pretty much, it's almost like uh, shot for shot, in some cases, cuts right from the original trailer. Um, so I'll, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that one in terms of are we just going to get the same songs and the same pacing and the same story? Or are they going to expand it out? Are they going to do anything radically different like we saw with uh, Maleficent? Um, that might be problematic for fans because I mean that's one of the most beloved of sort of the the later generation films once things got you know rebooted with The Little Mermaid. Oh yeah, yeah, Magnificent. That's one one Disney film I care even less than uh, the new uh, the new what the hell we're talking about Jungle Book. Yeah, <clears throat> and that's getting a sequel too apparently. So we'll... oh dear, <laughs> all Disney all the time. So it's either going to be Disney in your face, Marvel in your face, or Star Wars in your face. Yeah, when yeah. when's the next uh, Marvel film again? Wait, you damn can... it, Disney! <laughs> damn it! Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, we've got what uh, a couple months till Doctor Strange, I guess, and then we've got uh, uh, Star Wars after that. So, and then it should be Beauty and the Beast. And uh, uh, are we getting Finding Dory here? We will. I mean, this Pixar film always comes a little late. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're getting that sometime in July. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's pretty much uh, Disney every month in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> That's like a song, isn't it? Disney every month, every month, the Disney film. Sing it, sing it. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, uh, again, I think if you're an older schooler like me, uh, you might your fondness for the original might you know still uh, carry a slightly heavier weighting with, with regard to this film but i think if, if you're somebody who maybe hasn't seen the original you might go into this and just be wowed by the fact that animals are talking and they look so very real for the most part so, i just lawn i just yawn you can't even tell 
that literally that literally inspired a yawn inspired a yawn yeah yeah i I tend to have that effect on people especially my students (laughs) the moment i start talking it's like the whole class just you're listening to the east screen west screen podcast visit kongcast.com for more You have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob DeBoer of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. Uh, We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, please get in touch with us. You can get in touch with us over at our website. That is kongcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. That is twitter.com slash concast. You can uh, email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you like the show. If you don't, if you have questions, you'd like us to ask the questions right here on the air, we'll be willing to do that, you know, equally as well. Just drop us a line. You can also hook uh, hook up with us over at Facebook. That is East S, West S. You can drop questions in there. And sometimes we get into some interesting conversations. Try to basically keep people appraised of what's going on with future episodes but please do follow along with kevin and all the things that he's doing so sir where can they find out more about what's going on with you well you can read me every month um on the discovery or Supergirl magazines on cathay pacific airways and cathay dragon i would never get used to saying that name by the way um you can also follow me on twitter um um i am at the golden rock that's one word the golden rock um and you can email me at thegoldenrocketgmail.com. And, uh, th- oh, you can also get the Discovery Magazine iPad app uh, on your iPad store, uh, iPad app store. There you go. All right, excellent. Our next show, episode 194. Uh, don't know, we're, do we have local films yet? No? Not, yet. Um, not this week, I think. Well, go go and see The Taste of Youth, the, the great local documentary by director King Chun, who is director of KJ. Um, it's pretty good. We, I think we're going to talk about it next time, right? Yeah, if I can get out and see that. Uh, if not that, it's maybe going to be Warcraft, which I'm kind of dreading. <laughs> Even though I love the game, that just looks terrible. Um, but yeah, we. I don't think we're, do we get a do we get a regular local film later in the month? Uh, Alex Fong and uh, yeah, that popped out of nowhere as a Wilson Chin film. I yeah. I can't even spot the English title of it. I don't remember. But yeah, it's uh, what's her name? Ivana Wong and and Alex Fong. I guess you know. I guess post breakup, Alex Fong is you know hot. It's all hot again these days. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So we'll have something uh, for sure on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, when it's hot, uh, try to stay cool in the jungle. And we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. we